good to be back with you this church uh, this evening. Did you get your afternoon nap in? And uh, I know I know I did, and uh, that was a help. And uh, Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, and just want to say thank you for putting up with me today and allowing me to be with you. And uh, boy, it's been such a joy. I do hope if we had to come back that my wife will come with me and uh, get to meet all you wonderful folks. I tell you what, I've done just about nothing but eat since I've been here. And uh, thank you to all those that have treated us so royally there. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Keeley, even though he's not here tonight, for allowing me to come speak. I would think, man, how scary is that to let somebody you taught one day, you know, and probably had to deal with all their mistakes and Greek and all that, come preach at your church. And uh, so, but I'm so thankful to get to be with you and uh, have enjoyed the spirit here. Isn't it amazing that no matter where you go around the world, uh, when you meet with believers, that same spirit is there. And uh, you guys have been so welcoming to me today, and I appreciate that, and have received the word with gladness, and that's encouraging. I, I love preaching to people who want to hear preaching, and uh, you've seen that anyway, and so I'm thankful for that. I know as, as you're, uh, you're from your pastor, you get wonderful preaching on a, on a normal basis, and so uh, that's something to be thankful for, and uh, do be in prayer for America. Uh, regardless of what happens in this election, uh, we need to pray for America, don't we? And so continue doing that, and I'm so thankful that that's been on your pastor's heart, and uh, as I hope it's been on many pastors' hearts and on church's heart. And uh, so be in prayer for us. I brought a few prayer cards with me tonight. We uh, This is our first edition, and so we don't even have our website on here, although we've got that up and running. And uh, if for no other reason, I would get this just to look at those two cute kids. I can tell you right now, that'd be worth being on your fridge. And uh, this is Caleb and Evelyn, and we've got a new one on the way, and we're going to be surprised uh, what this one is, and so we're excited about that, going to do things a little differently. And uh, so if you would like one of these to pray for us, we could use it, I can tell you that, and we're excited about what the Lord has for us. And uh, anytime I get to travel and preach to folks like you, I think, man, I, I want to do this the rest of my life. And uh, we feel like that's what God's called us to, and we hope we can be a blessing to you. Look at Luke chapter 15, we won't read this entire passage but I do want to start in verse 17 tonight, if we could. We begin this passage this morning in talking about some symptoms in our life that indicate we have a need for revival. And then tonight we're going to look at steps that we need to take in order to have revival in our life. And you know, I think good preaching uh, doesn't just step on your toes and convict you. It shows you what to do about it. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, when we find selfishness and sinfulness and sorrow and and, uh, and separation in our life and those symptoms that say, hey, I need revival, then what do we do about it? And we see that in this passage. We're going to look at a couple other passages, a couple revival passages tonight, and that would be 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, and also Revelation chapter 3. And so we're going to kind of compare scriptures tonight and see how these steps we're going to talk about tonight are also found in other passages. And so look at uh, Luke chapter 15, let's begin reading in verse 17. And just refresh our minds on what happens after this young man wakes up in the pig's pen. Notice verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word tonight, and we thank you for this parable. And Lord, just the beautiful picture that it paints of what to do when we're wayward. Lord, what to do when we wake up and spiritually speaking, we find ourselves in a pig's pen. Or maybe we're like the older brother and we find bitterness and covetousness and pride and self-righteousness and, and just other sin issues in our life. Lord, I'm thankful that in this passage we get a beautiful illustration of our Heavenly Father and how He wants us to come home and restore us and make things right. And so, Father, I pray we'd open our hearts tonight to the Holy Spirit's working. I pray again that you would be the speaker tonight, that through your word you'd convict us and encourage us, and that you'd revive us. Lord, wouldn't it be something tonight if we just walked away revived? We just walked away with our hearts pure and clean and ready to go out this week and, and live the normal Christian life the way that you intended it to be and make a difference in the world around us. And Father, may you do work in our hearts tonight. May you be the surgeon, Lord, that removes things from our lives and that improves things in our lives tonight. And Father, we'll glorify your name if you accomplish those things tonight because you alone are worthy. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I remember several years ago, I, uh, I had some kind of uh, sickness, you know, the, the sniffles or whatever. It wasn't coronavirus, okay, that I know of because it wasn't around back then. And I remember uh, both my parents work in the medical field, and so oftentimes I won't go to the doctor, and Dad, through his work office, can get some antibiotics called in, and they kind of know the symptoms and think, well, this, this should fix whatever's going on in you. And so I remember uh, Dad had uh, arranged for me to get on some antibiotics and hopefully get better. And I remember as I got these antibiotics, uh, I reacted to them. I'd never done that before. You know, growing up as a kid, never had any issues with antibiotics, and, and I reacted to them, and I think we went through two or three different changes trying to figure out what am I reacting to. I remember it was one of the most awkward things in the world. I literally, uh, I looked like an alien uh, for a little while. I had a rash uh, from about my waist to my ears, honest to goodness, and it was, it was unbelievable. I thought this is, uh, I just kill me now, you know, <laughs> like I'm dying, and I had rash, and it itched so bad, and it literally was so bad, folks, at night I didn't want the sheets on me. I mean, it was just horrible. I just could not get away from it, and I remember being sick and thinking, uh, the cure that they're trying is not working, okay? It is, it is making things, it's making my life incredibly difficult, okay? And so finally, after a couple different times, we got this list of things, okay, don't give this to Ethan because he turns like E.T., okay? And it's not a good situation, and, but this is the cure. This is the right antibiotic that works for him, and and it'll cure things up, and it'll, it'll help these symptoms to go away. As we come to the passage tonight, we're going to look at what is the cure? What is the right cure for spiritual slackness in our life and spiritual sickness in our life? You know, if you were to go interview people on the streets of Miami or in your community today and say, what does our world need? What does America need? You'd find a lot of different answers, wouldn't you? Well, we need a new president, or we need a new a system, or we need a more this, or less of this. And you find a lot of different answers. But I, what I'd like to do tonight is not preach my outline, but just go to God's Word tonight. And say, God, when we find ourselves like these two prodigals, when we find ourselves either you know, in gross sin and immorality and away from you in a pig's pen, or when we find ourselves 
uh, being a prodigal at home, in the Father's house, and in church, and but we don't have that relationship with God like we should. What's the answer for that? What's God's prescription that he would apply to our lives? What are steps that we must take to see revival? And remember, church, what is revival? Revival is a return to normal Christian living. That's what it is. So how do we get right with God? And I'll give you four thoughts tonight, and, uh, and we'll be done. I would say the first step okay, that I see in these young men's, well, in particular, this one young man's life here, is we see sin's recognition. Sin's recognition. Look back at verse 17, when he came to himself. You know what he did? He woke up and he thought, what, what am I doing? Look at where I am. You know, I would imagine the day that he left his father's house, he never imagined himself in a pig's pen. Is that fair to say? The day that he took his father's money and he thought, boy, the best days of my life are ahead. And I've got a little money in the bank account and I'm fixing to go buy a good time and buy some friends. I don't think he ever envisioned himself in the pig's pen or he never would have left. But he wakes up and he looks at his life and he says, everything is not okay. And I'd say, good diagnosis. Okay, right? He's thinking about eating pig's food. And he finds in his life that not only is there physical separation, but there's a spiritual problem here. You know, if you're like me, I am typically the kind of person that plays down the size of problems. Anybody like that? It's not that big of a deal, right? It's, you know, we can handle this. It's okay. I... Uh, I just, uh, we, we, uh, me and my father-in-law, we love to fish, and uh, we don't have a nice boat or any of those things. So what we did is we bought uh, kayaks. And uh, so we'll go out in the ocean, and, you know, it's fun. We're out there with kayaks the size of the sharks, you know. And, I mean, we just have a good time, and our wives are probably back there just praying, you know, hoping we make it back with all our limbs and all that. And so, but, but we really enjoy it. And so I, a few weeks ago, we were in Navarre, which is up near Pensacola, and we were, we were kayaking and fishing and just having a good time. And throughout the week, I had been getting a little water in my kayak, and I thought, that's no big deal, okay? That's no big deal. I mean, just a little water, and that's normal, right? I mean, it's probably splashing in there and all that. And I remember uh, the last day, the last full day that we were there, Friday, I had been out, uh, I was out several hundred yards and, and been out for a while. And all of a sudden, in my kayak, it didn't want to sit level, and it wanted to lean, and it would stay that way. And then I would try to fix it, you know, and then all of a sudden want to lean the other way. And I thought, that is, you know, that cannot be good, not normal. And so I look down, I have a little hole, you know, that leads into the, into the inside of the kayak. And I look down, and I, my kayak is honestly like, there is so much water in there. It is unbelievable. And so I begin very quickly just, you know, just getting back to shore. I'm, I'm not going down. This is not a, another Titanic story, okay? Like, I, I am not going down out here. And, you know, the problem was that all week I've been seeing the signs that this was kind of coming, and I just downplayed it. Just not a big deal. Just not a big deal. And, church, I would say to you that so many times in our life it's easy to downplay sin, isn't it? it it's easy to do it. It's easy to say, well, it's just a little thing in my life, or it's just, it's not what is, uh, you know, so wicked that other people are doing in those things. And you know what? This man just comes to a, to a point in his life where he just says, I'm wicked. I've messed up. I'm away from the father. The younger brother in this story realizes his life is in a mess. He's not only physically in a pig pen, spiritually speaking, he's in a pig pen as well. You know, I want to read you some scripture tonight. And part of the process in experiencing revival is just realizing that you have a need. Isaiah he gets this wonderful vision of God. Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, he sees God in his holiness. 
And as he looks at God, here was his response. He says, Woe is me, for I'm a man undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, maybe Isaiah in his own eyes, in the people's eyes, he looked okay, but when he compared himself to God's righteousness and God's holiness and God's expectation, he said, Wow, I am wicked. Second Chronicles chapter 6 Yet if they bethink themselves in the land, whether they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned. We have done amiss and have done wickedly. Psalm chapter 106, again, the psalmist just coming to grips with himself. Verse 6, we have sinned and our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Jeremiah chapter 3, we lie down in our shame and our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. Take your Bible, if you have it with me, go to the book of Daniel. In, in Daniel chapter 9, we get this prayer from Daniel for his people, just like you did tonight. Just like many of you gathered tonight and you prayed for your nation and you prayed about probably the upcoming election and decisions that are being made and our, our current leaders and all that's going on. So in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying for his nation. And notice how his prayer goes here, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. And notice we see he just recognizes sin. He just calls it what it is. He just, God, we are messed up. Look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You get the sense here, this is not just playing with prayer. This is very earnest prayer. This is fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And then watch how he prays here, verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments, and watch what he says, verse 5, he just puts it on the table. We have sinned, and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Can you see it here, church? Daniel just realizes we're in a mess. It's not they're in a mess, or they have sinned, but God, I've sinned, and God, I'm in a mess, and God, I need revival in my life. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it's a great revival verse, verse 14. And you know, the first steps to revival, God tells us, if my people, which are called by, by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And church, I would just say that pride is a hindrance to revival. But you know, the way, the path to revival is by recognizing our sin, by humbling ourselves and saying, God, you know, I have sin in my life. God, I'm not as close as I should be to you. You know, I didn't mention it this morning, but you know the sins that often get a pass in our life are not necessarily the sins of commission, the things we do, but the sins of omission, the things we don't do. Because they seem like less of a big deal, don't they? Like we look at, you know, well, I'm not doing these things, but, you know, I'm not in God's Word, and I'm not praying, I don't share the gospel. And we kind of, you know, those things just earn us brownie points, right? Those things just get us on God's good list. But no, those things are commands. And disobeying those things is sin. And so, you know, it, to, to have revival tonight, the, the first thought is that we must recognize our sin. We must recognize, we must shine God's spotlight on ourselves. Notice the second step here, and I, I love this, and we're going to take some time on this tonight. So we see sin's recognition, and then notice secondly, we see sincere repentance. Sincere repentance. Verse 20, as, as this young man comes home to his father, verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, 
his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then watch, watch just the repentance, the confession that this man makes. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Listen, Dad, I, I have blown it. I have messed up against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Dad, I have blown it. I've made a mistake. And here's what I'd say, church, in order to experience revival, we must turn from our sin. We must turn from our sin. Sin and revival don't go together. They don't. And to experience revival in our life, there's some things we have to forsake. There's some things we have to let go of. Some things we have to get rid of. 2 Chronicles 7.14, that verse that we just started. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And what does the rest of the verse say? Here it is. And, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And the point being tonight, church, when we look at this passage, when this young man realized the state of his condition, he did something about it. He did something about it. Look, there's an issue in my life. I'm separated from my father. I'm living in sin. I'm in a pig's pen, and I'm not going to stay here. You know, church, I think sometimes we just need to hate sin. We just need to hate it. And, and not pass over it and not just, well, God will just forgive me again and again and again. I'm thankful for his mercy tonight. Please don't understand me. His grace and his forgiveness, he's plenteous in mercy, the Bible says. But, you know, we ought to get a, just a, a, a detest for sin in our life. Man, I hate that I constantly fail God. I hate that I constantly, the Holy Spirit puts on my heart uh, to witness to someone, to invite a neighbor, a coworker to church, and I just refuse to do it. I hate that. And this young man hates where he's at, and so he does something about it. Several years ago, I, it's been a long time ago, I, I was in a kindergarten play. I love kindergarten plays, okay? And one reason is they do not go right, okay? You know, somebody's going to do something wrong. And uh, several years ago, we had a Christmas play, and we had a little boy playing the cow, and he started eating the hay up on the stage. And I thought that's the most realistic actor I've ever seen in my life, you know? He is just really getting into this here. And, and several years ago, I remember I was in kindergarten, and I just have faint memories of it. But they made me play uh, the little boy uh, that was in the song, Pigs Don't Live in Houses. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this little kid's song, Pigs Don't Live in Houses, Pigs Don't Make Their Beds. They love the dirt instead, right? And so I was the little boy, and the picture was that they, they took my clothes and they made them dirty, and this was so cool, they'd use chocolate milk. How about that? They used that chocolate milk powder that smells so good, you know, I was surprised it didn't start licking it, you know. And they used that chocolate milk, and they just made myself dirty. And the point was that this little boy is dirty, and he needs to be cleaned up, right? And that's the, that's the young man in our story. He's dirty, and he needs to be cleaned up. You know, so many times I've come to the Lord, and my hands are just dirty, and I say, God, I just need, I need, I need forgiveness. I need to be cleaned up. Uh, take your Bible with me and go to Revelation chapter 3. And I want you to hold just a finger, put a piece of paper in this passage or something, because we're going to come back to it a couple times. Revelation chapter 3, we read this scripture this morning. This is the church in Laodicea. And remember, their attitude was, well, we've got things. So we don't need God. We, we've got all these things and riches, and so we're doing okay. But what is God's advice to them in how to get their heart right? Look at Revelation chapter 3. In verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so here's what God tells them to do. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent. Here's what I want to explain to you tonight what repentance is. Repentance is not just coming to an altar and getting emotional and walking away unchanged. 
Here's repentance, if I could illustrate it just visually for you. Repentance is I am headed a direction in my life. Maybe there's bitterness in my life or there's anger in my life or there's, there's a sin addiction in my life or gossip. or you know We could put any numbers of, of sins in that, in that blank there. And I'm headed a certain way and God speaks to my heart. Maybe it's in my personal devotions that I'm reading and God just, man, he just steps on my toes. Or maybe it's in a service. I know a lot of times in preaching, God just speaks to my heart about things. And maybe Pastor Keeley is preaching or a guest speaker is preaching and God speaks to your heart about that is not right. And you know what repentance is? Repentance is a part of it is confession. It is raising our hand and agreeing with God about our sin. And you know what? Sometimes it is coming to an altar. Sometimes it is getting on our knees and saying, God, you know what? My attitude has been wrong, and I've had this sin issue in my life, and I've not been obedient to you in this area of my life. And God, I need your forgiveness because I have sinned before you. I have sinned, God, and so I confess that to you. But watch, that's not all repentance involves. Repentance is I'm headed this way. God speaks to me, and I confess, God, I've been headed the wrong direction. There's sin in my life. And you know what repentance is? Repentance is a turn. Repentance is I'm headed the wrong direction. God speaks to me. I get it right, and now I'm going to head the right direction in my life. I'm not going to have that gossip in my life anymore. I'm not going to have that selfishness. I'm not going to have that sin issue in my life. I'm not going to have that separation in my life. And I'm going to head the right direction. We're going to repent. We're headed the wrong direction. But this young man realized it and said, you know what? I've got to get right with my father, and then I'm going to head the right, the right direction. I'm not living in that riotous living anymore. I'm not going to have that separation from the father in my life anymore. And interestingly enough, I thought this was interesting. Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, which is obviously just a dark time in our human in our in our country's history he wrote to the nation and declared a day of fasting and prayer well wouldn't that be something if we got from a president today a day of fasting and prayer and humiliation here's what abraham lincoln said to the people in the u.s in those days he said is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of god to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. A national day of just repenting, just confessing. And church, on this road to revival, there is recognizing our sin, and then there is saying, let's do something about it. Let's get right with God. Let's change our attitude. Let's change our actions. Let's change our relationship with God and turn from the wrong direction that we're headed and head back in the right direction. Notice a third step in this process to revival. There is sin's recognition. He realizes, I'm in a pig's pen. This is not good. There is sincere repentance. He comes to his father. He confesses, Dad, I've done wrong. Dad, I cursed you. Dad, I've been living for myself and for stuff. And, and I'm turning from that. And I want to do what's right. But notice the third step here. And that is that we see a special relationship restored. A special relationship restored. You know, I love, I, I love this story. Because as he starts coming to his father... His father is, here's the word, Brother Gobby, he's way out yonder, okay? There's your word for it. He's way out yonder. And I, I like that. It is a southern word. It just means anywhere not here, okay? Anywhere not right here. His father's out there, and he's looking for him. He's looking for him. Don't you love that picture? This is a picture of our Heavenly Father, by the way. 
This is a picture. His, his son has been gone. Who knows how long? Who knows what he's living in? Who knows what he's done to his family name and just the embarrassment that he's caused his family? And yet we get this picture that every day the father's out and just, man, my, I wish my son would come home today. I just can't wait for my son to come over that hill. And when he sees his son, when he's a great way off, he runs towards him and finds him. And what do we see? This special relationship, this father and son relationship is restored. It is made right again. Church, in order to experience revival, we have to return to God. See, the deal is that when we come to a place where we want God more than anything else, where we choose God above all else, where God is more important than anything else, we are ready to experience revival. This young man had to come to a place where he said, I want my father, and I want that relationship with my father over my sin. I want my father, and I want restoration with my father over these pleasures that are so temporary, over these friends, over these temporary things in my life. I want that relationship more than anything. No matter what it costs me, no matter the shame that I have to deal with, I want to be restored. A.W. Tozier, the great evangelist, he said this. He said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? He said, I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. To pray for revival while ignoring the plain uh, precept laid down in Scripture is to waste a lot of words and get nothing for our trouble. Prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. Isn't that good? Should we pray for revival? Absolutely. But should we take steps towards revival? Of course. Of course. You know, I'm thankful, church, again, we get this picture. Our Father is ready to forgive. Plenteous in mercy, Psalm chapter 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous unto mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Can I say, no matter where you find yourself tonight, that you have a Father that is willing to forgive? Isn't that hope? Isn't that hope? Isn't it cool to take a Bible and, and go out in the community and witness and, and folks' lives are messed up and they say, well, 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 you don't know what I've done and you don't know who I am and you don't know uh, where I've been. And isn't it cool to say, well, it doesn't matter because there's a God in heaven who does and he still was willing to die for you and wants to forgive you. And I would just say to you tonight, no matter where you are, no matter if you're in the father's house in a prodigal or you're in the pig's pen and been walking away, maybe you're listening online tonight and you think, man, I hadn't stepped foot in a church in a long time. I don't even know if God knows my name and the pastor doesn't know who I am. And I would just tell you tonight, you have a heavenly father that is looking for you. You have a heavenly father that is waiting for you. You have a heavenly father that is longing to restore that relationship with you. What a beautiful picture of our heavenly father here. I would say tonight, you have a father that wants revival in your life. You know, sometimes I think we have this attitude, if we're not careful, towards revival of, well, if God's just willing or if God just, you know, if it's just maybe the right time. And I would say we have a God who wants to revive us. We have a God who promises to revive us. It's my people, right? Humble themselves and pray. I'll hear from heaven. I'll, I'll heal their land. John chapter 3 reminds us, not only is this father ready to forgive, but he's ready to restore. Don't you love this church? The son comes home, and the father doesn't say, well, you're forgiven, and guess what? You'll be just like one of the servants. You're forgiven, but you can't be my son anymore. After what you've done to me, we've got a place for you down the road somewhere. And, you know, you're forgiven, son, but, but you just can't have it like you had it before. No, what did this father do? My goodness, he put the spread on, didn't he? 
I'm so glad you're home. Hey, let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. He restored that relationship. You're my son. Bring the ring. Put it back on him in a robe. And there's full restoration here. And I just remind you tonight that if you're saved tonight, you're, you're a child of God. You're his child tonight. There's a special relationship there, isn't there? I tell our teens, and when I'm out preaching, I say, you know, we have a teen in our church. His name is Benjamin. I love Benjamin. He's a senior. He's got a heart for the Lord. And uh, he's just a mess, you know, and I just love him. Can you imagine if Benjamin came and he knocked on my house uh, about midnight? And I came to the door, and it was Benjamin, and Benjamin was there. And I said, Benjamin, what, what, what are you doing? You know, what is wrong? And he said, you know, uh, Brother Ethan, he said, I'm just scared. And he said, you know, I had a bad dream tonight. And he said, I just wonder, could I just sleep, sleep in your bed tonight so I wouldn't be afraid? And you know what I'm going to say? Go home, Benjamin. Okay, right? Like, no way, okay? That's not happening. That's weird. But you know what? If my little buddy Caleb, and sometimes this happens, Caleb will have a bad dream and things like that, and Caleb comes into my room, and he's crying, and Mommy and Daddy, and he's had a scary dream. And you know what? If Caleb says, hey, can I, can I sleep with you? You know what I'm going to say? Come on in, buddy. Come on, come on. Dad, Daddy will take care of you. Daddy's going to protect you. Why? There's a special relationship there. He's my son, okay? He, he, he's, he's, he's blood related to me. And I just want to remind you tonight, church, that if you're saved, you're a child of God. There's a special relationship there. He's your father. He wants what is best for you. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants to put the robe on you and the ring on your finger and let you experience abundant life. James 4 gives us this another revival passage. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. It's exactly what this father did. The son starts running his dad's way, and guess what? The father way off is looking, and he starts coming his son's way. That's our God. He wants to revive us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. He's close. In Revelation chapter 3, you still got your Bible there? Revelation chapter 3. So he tells these people, look, you think you're good and you're not okay and you're lukewarm. And so here's what you need to do. He says, repent. And then watch what else he says. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know what that is, church? That's revival. That is a God who says, I'm at your heart's door knocking. I just want in. I just want fellowship. I just want restoration. You know, church, I just remind you tonight that our God is not out in the cosmos somewhere that is just distant from us, that just has nothing to do with Our God is in the room tonight. Our God is in our presence tonight. And I just want to remind you that when our hearts are revived, then our relationship with Him is restored and we're made right. And it is a beautiful thing. You know, I think about when I think about revival and I think about this story, I think about getting in trouble as a kid. And I did it a lot. You know, I mean, I just was a mess as a kid and always into something, you know. And, and I remember when I get in trouble as a kid, the last thing I wanted to do was tell mom and dad. The last thing I wanted to do was see mom and dad. Because I knew the wrath of, uh, of Daryl Lucro was coming upon uh, the seat of correction, you know, if I can put it that way. And I just knew I was just in trouble. And I just, you know, I didn't want to be around mom and dad. And maybe I can hide and go to a friend's house or something. But, you know, I remember after, uh, after you know, punishment had been applied... And I had confessed things and gotten right that one of the sweetest moments ever with my parents was that restoration. That moment of, man, I don't have to hide anymore from mom and dad. I'm, I'm right with them. And I just remind you, church, tonight that if we experience revival, we have to recognize our sin. We have to repent and turn from it. And then we have to get our relationship right with him. 
get that fellowship, get in his word and pray and serve him and, and love him. Don't just know him as we talked about this morning, but we love him and we're walking with him and in sweet fellowship with him. And then notice the fourth step, if you will, tonight. And really it's the result. And that is not only do we see sin's repentance and sincere, uh, sin's recognition and sincere repentance here. Those things that are necessary in our life. And we see a special relationship restored, but notice we see spiritual revival. <laughs> Look at verse 24. And I love the way the scripture words this because this is the definition of revival. Notice verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. What is one word to describe that? Revived. He's been revived. He was dead to me, but now he has been made alive again. What is that? He's been revived. He, he's experienced revival in his life. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And so, church, let me just put it on the table tonight. When those who have been born again, saved, but live as though they are dead to the Father, recognize their sin, and repent, turn from it, and are restored, then we experience revival. Two things that I noticed that happen when we have revival. Number one, sin is forsaken. And we've talked about that. This, this young man, in order to experience revival, he forsook his sin. And the second thing that, is, that, is, that occurs when revival happens is that the father's lived for. He's in the father's house now. He's living for the father. He's serving the father. He has close fellowship with the father. I was thinking this afternoon as I was studying, just thinking about tonight, I thought, and I just wrote down these thoughts, what would happen in our nation if every Christian forsook sin and completely lived for God? I want to bring it home tonight. What would happen in this church if every member and every Christian forsook every known sin in their life? I'm not, we're not going to be perfect, please. But if we said to the best of my ability, I've searched my heart, I've confessed sin, I've gotten right with God, and I'm in, in, in restored fellowship and right relationship, and if we just live for the Father to the best of our ability, what would happen? Boy, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? I love reading stories of revival in, in 1949 on the Isle of Lewis, which is actually outside of, of Scotland here. On the Isle of Lewis, it was a dark, cold, spiritual place. And in fact, one of the things that they said on the Isle of Lewis is that no young people ever went to church. No teens, no, you know, young 20, no, no, no young people went to church. And there were two elderly ladies on this island who got a burden that they needed revival. They needed God to show up. They needed their island to just repent and turn from sin. And so they begin praying, God, would you revive our island? God, would you revive our church? God, would you revive our area here? And I mean, they got serious about it. In fact, they began praying on Tuesday nights from 10 p.m. until 4 a.m. Can you imagine? 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Every, every Tuesday night, these, these two older ladies, they just met together and they just begged God, God, we've got to see revival. And God, we, we just need you to heal us. And, and God, you got to do something. And one night in the middle of their prayer meeting, just the two of them, and aren't you thankful for the scripture where two or three are gathered, right? God's in the midst there. And in the two of them, one of the ladies, she stopped praying and she said, Sister, I just want you to know that God has just confirmed in my spirit that he's heard our prayer and he's going to revive our, our island. And the other sister thought, well, that, that is wonderful, but, you know, what do we do? How does that happen? And so they went down to the local preacher and told the preacher, listen, preacher, we've been praying for revival, and we believe God has answered our prayer, and revival's coming to this island. And so the preacher said, well, you know, what, what do you want me to do? What, what, what am I supposed to do? And so the lady said, well, 
Pastor, maybe you and uh, some other men could start praying with us. And so they did. And so on now on Tuesday night and Thursday night, the ladies would get in the house and the men would go out to the barn. And they would just seek God for hours upon hours and just pray, God, revive us and God, heal us. And one night in that barn meeting with just a few men, just a handful of men in that barn meeting, one of the young men, he was a young deacon in the church, he just got to a place the Holy Spirit was working on him. He was under conviction. He just stood up and he said, what are we doing? He said, how can we pray for revival when I myself am not even right with God? He said he walked to the other end of the barn just began talking like it was just him and God and just calling out to God and he began asking the question, God, it, it, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Before too long, he said, conviction fell over that barn and the men were on their faces all across the barn and just confessing sin. The pastor too, just confessing sin. And these leaders in the church just confessing sin, just getting right with God. What they didn't know that night is that all over the Isle of Lewis, the Holy Spirit was waking up people under conviction. And church, I would say you don't plan something like that. You can't plan something like that. But all over the island, there would be people waking up and realizing their need of God and you know spiritual truths that they had learned were being recalled. And, and there were people all over that island that were calling out to God in repentance and for salvation. They called on a preacher to come in and preach some services for him. His name was Duncan Campbell. He's an evangelist. And Duncan Campbell arrived on the island of Lewis back during that time. You couldn't fly in, you know, and those things. And so... He got off of, uh, off of his shift there on the Isle of Lewis. It was 9 p.m. And they asked him, Mr. Campbell, could you come to church and just, we got a few people meeting and just say a few words. It's 9 p.m., folks. Duncan Campbell walked in the church that night and there were 300 people. He went to the pulpit. He read some scriptures. He prayed. Nothing really special, really magical happened. He said, folks, he said, I'm going to go home and rest and to, to my room and rest and, and we'll, we'll meet again tomorrow. And on the way down the aisle, they said a young man grabbed his arm to just help him out the door. And he didn't know it at the time, but it had been that very first deacon that God had got a hold of his heart in the barn that night. And as this deacon was leading him down the, down the aisle, out the doors of the church, the deacons just, he just stopped and he just paused and he looked to heaven and he said, God, you promised us. You promised us and you can't fail us now. He said about that time, a, a man ran in the back doors of the church, and he said, Mr. Campbell, he said, you've got to come out. Or he said, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happened, but you just got to come out here. And Duncan Campbell walked out the back doors of that church, and there were 600 people that, that were lined up outside of the church that night, 100 of them teenagers. Teens didn't go to church in that day. The story, true story, amazing. There had been a, a, a dance down the road from the church that evening, and as these teens were dancing and, and, and were living immorally and all the sin issues in their life, the Holy Spirit of God just convicted them and they walked out of that dance hall that night not knowing what was going on and made their way outside the doors of a church where people have been praying for revival. And Duncan Campbell walked out and he said, folks, he said, uh, you know, if, if, you'll, if you're willing to come in, then we'll come in and we'll, we'll have a service. And so 900 people packed in the auditorium that night at 11 p.m. Can you imagine? Duncan Campbell said, when later recounting, he said, I never had to preach that night. He said to his own admission, he said to get to the pulpit, he said, I was stepping over people who were laying in the aisles, confessing sin to God and getting right with him. 
He stayed for hours that night until finally in the early hours of the morning, in fact, I think it was about 4 a.m., that Duncan Campbell said, finally said, he said, folks, I've got to go home and I've got to rest and, uh, and we'll come back tomorrow. And on his way home, he said that there were people in ditches all across, all over the road, calling out to God, crying out to God for forgiveness, confessing sin, getting their lives right with God. God did some amazing things in that revival one night, some, uh, or, or, or one time, some teenage girls got a burden for their principal at their school who did not know God and wasn't a Christian. And so they began to pray for this, this man that he would get saved, that God would revive him, God would change his heart. And, and on one occasion, and it was just the Holy Spirit's moving, a group of literally hundreds of people just gathered at like a local police uh, station there. And Duncan Campbell showed up and preached the gospel. And this principal they had been praying for, along with hundreds of others, got saved. The meeting went on for three years. God did a work in that island, and when it was done, you know, it was hard to find lost people in the island because God had just stirred them up. We now know it as the New Hebrides Revival. And sometime later, someone was interviewing Dr. Campbell and asking him about the revival and just dreaming about what it would have been like, you know, and how we hear these stories of revival and God's people getting stirred up and people getting saved, you know, and all this. And he was just getting Duncan Campbell. Uh, to, uh, to tell him the story, and here's what Dr. Campbell said to the man. He said, son, he said, do not let the revival of the New Hebrides rob you of your own. And I would tell you, church, that in my life, I've heard about a lot of revivals. When I went to school, it wasn't unusual. We studied great revivals of the past, but I would say in a sense, church, that I'm tired of hearing about revival. And I want us to experience it. And I want to experience it in my life. And I want my children to see what that looks like. And I want my church to see what that looks like. And I want your church to see what that looks like. And I know your pastor's heart is for that for you. During the Welsh Revival, there was a man who came in visiting. And he was asking, where can I find the Welsh Revival? He had come all the way from London, England. And, and he was looking for, where's the Welsh Revival? Where are the services? Where, where's the music? Where, where's God working? And there was a police officer that he noticed. And he asked me, he said, sir, he said, can you tell me where the Welsh Revival is? police officer stood up, turned to the man, he said, sir, he said, I can. He said, the Welsh revival is right here. And I would say to you, church, if we experience revival, it's going to happen right here. It's going to happen in your heart. It's going to happen in this church. Revival never comes when it's going to be out there or for them or for somebody else or years down the road. You know what revival is? It's for me. It's for you tonight. I just wonder tonight, before God Almighty, could we not just have a service tonight, but have revival? Maybe in our own hearts and lives say, God, you know, I'm wicked. God, I'm wrong. God, I don't live for you. God, I've not given my life to you. And God, tonight I repent of that. I'm headed the wrong direction, but I confess that to you. And I want to head the right direction. I want my relationship restored. God, I commit to live for you. I want to have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And God, I want to experience revival in my life now. For my family, for my church, for God's glory. Church, our, our, our world is in desperate need of revival, and it starts right here. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love you. God, I, I'll just be honest. I don't even know really how to give an invitation tonight. I, I just pray that you would take over, and you would do our work, and that you would, you would do your work tonight, and, and you would humble us. And God, may we get on our faces before a holy God and just pray tonight. Lord, I know that sometimes we can mistake revivalism with emotionalism and those things, but God, I pray tonight that we would have real godly sorrow 
and repentance in our heart tonight over the sin issues in our life. I pray tonight, Father, that we would see our Heavenly Father as you painted the picture for us in this parable of a Father who loves us, of a Father who is longing for us, of a Father who wants to restore us, wants to put the robe and the ring on us, Lord, and and, and bring the fellowship back in our lives and the joy of the Lord and the fruits of the Spirit and and, and, and wants to stir our church, God, and do amazing things. God, may we experience revival. God, may we not just read about it and, 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 and think about it or dream about it, but may we realize tonight that there are steps that we can take in our lives to see a holy God revive us. God, I need revival tonight. And, and I need you to work in my heart and life tonight. And I want to be right with you tonight. I want to be set on fire for you tonight. And I pray that there be some folks in the auditorium, Lord, no matter... If we're a prodigal in the Father's house, we're a prodigal in the pig's pen tonight, or wherever we find ourselves, I pray that tonight we would just seek your face, and we would humble ourselves before a holy God and repent of our sins and see revival in our life. Father, may you do a work in us tonight. God, may this church be set afire for you. May this church, may our nation, God, see true revival so that souls can be saved and lives can be changed. God, we're in desperate need of spiritual awakening, and I pray that it would begin in our hearts tonight. I wonder with our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. I'm just going to ask the piano to play tonight. And if God's going to work in your heart, I'm not even going to ask you to stand tonight. If you just want to pray, maybe you want to come to an altar and, and kneel and seek the Lord's face. I think that's a good thing many times in our hearts and lives. Maybe you want to get on your knees or maybe just where you're sitting tonight, you just say, God, I just need you tonight. God, I just need your presence in my life. And I need the, the Holy Spirit power in my life. And I need your working. May we as a church 